Welcome to the Midlife Male Podcast, a podcast designed to help men maximize middle age and live healthier, wealthier, stronger, and happier. I am Greg Scheinman, and I'm inviting you to join the thousands of men who listen each week, receive my Midlife Male newsletter, and are committed to making this next phase of life our best phase. If you have not yet downloaded my No BS Guide to Maximizing Midlife, where I break down the three principles to maximizing middle age and taking back some of that shit you've given up, head on over to midlifemail.com forward slash no BS guide. Guys are loving these three principles to maximizing middle age, and you can download your copy today at midlifemail.com forward slash no BS guide. All right, guys, Greg Scheinman here. It is another week. It is another episode of the Midlife Mail Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week, as always. My book is out, The Midlife Mail. You can go get it at Amazon. You can also go to midlifemail.com. You can subscribe to the free newsletter that'll be dropped in your inbox every Sunday morning. You can get the podcast. You'll get six things that I'm into from my six Fs of family and fitness and finance and food and fashion and fun. So there's a lot of stuff that is going on. Also, we are pretty much at the end of this year. Uh, coming up on Thanksgiving. Not sure when you're going to be listening to this. And then we're into December. It is the holiday season. So we should be thinking about finishing the year as strongly as possible. We should be thinking about how we want to prepare for the year ahead. Do we want to make resolutions or do we want to practice resolve? All this is in my free guide. It's also in the Midlife Mail book. And thank you guys so much for making it a number one bestseller on Amazon. It means the world. If you've got questions about my coaching program, you're interested, you've got questions on anything, there are guys you want to hear from, recommendations for the show, anything at all to keep the midlife male movement growing and the community building and where I can give back and serve you guys, just let me know. Hit me up at greg at midlifemail.com. Follow me on Instagram, on LinkedIn, reach out, and I will get back to you. On today's show, Dana Cavalea. This guy is fantastic. He is the former director of strength and conditioning and performance for the New York Yankees, spent 12 years with them. I am a lifelong Yankee fan, so this is very, very cool to me. He led the team to a world championship in 2009. He was awarded the Nolan Ryan Award given to the top strength and performance coach in Major League Baseball as voted on by his peers. He is the author of the book, Habits of a Champion, Nobody Becomes a Champion by Accident. He also is the author of Habits of a Champion Team, his newest book. And in addition to his on-field coaching, he works as a performance coach and consultant to companies, organizations, some of America's top CEOs, executives, and Wall Street fund managers and traders, helping them to optimize performance, productivity, and sales. He is also a tremendous keynote speaker. Uh, And somebody I had a lot of fun talking to. So it's an honor and a privilege to have Dana Cavalea joining me on the Midlife Mail podcast. Let's get to it. Dana, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Greg. Excited to be here. Well, this this is great to me. Um, 
Dana is a high performance coach. I came across your profile on LinkedIn, started mm. following you uh, or connecting with you, whatever the terminology is for LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. you know, connections, followers, whatever, whatever platform we're on. <laughs> came across, came across everything that you've got going on, and immediately just started reading it each day because the value and the content that you put out is just so spot on. And it was really landing with me that it became like, what am I bumping out? Okay. So that I can go and check Dana's stuff out each day, you know, um, in there. So, so thank you very much for that. And, you know, for coming on, cause I reached out, I was like, this stuff is great. You know, would you come on and, and chat with me a little bit? So thank you for that. Cool. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. You know, so I, I like your newsletter too. Ah, th- thank you. I, ap- I appreciate that. Um, let's start at the beginning, if we can. I also think sometimes there's this misconception from people out there that like we all know each other, you know, like everybody out here in like coaching land or social media land that like we all really know each other. And the reality is a lot of times, you know, we don't. I think we connect or we vibe with kind of like minded people or what we think and hope we get to know them. And guys, by the way, I get a lot more no's than I get yeses. So you always got to be great you know, yeah. and, and about coming on or timing, you know, on it. But walk us through a little bit, kind of, you know, how you got your start. You're a high performance coach now, but talk to me a little bit about your background and how you came up. Well, you know, for me, I, I started as a baseball player and I uh, always wanted to be a baseball player for the hometown team. I grew up in New York, Long Island, much like you. And um, I always wanted to play for the Yankees. That was my, that was my goal. So I, I uh, sort of imprisoned myself to do that with extreme work habits and obsessiveness and all the sick things that I actually coach people not to do now. And uh, I ended up not making it as a, as a ball player, but I went to the university of South Florida down in Tampa. I worked, uh, I ended up getting involved with strength and conditioning and performance training, helping athletes, you know, optimize their speed, optimize their strength, optimize their nutrition, uh, assist them in the rehabilitative process, work on the mental conditioning side with high performance athletes. And uh, I started with the football team at my university. And then uh, there happened to be a team that has spring training not too far from my university, which happens to be the New York Yankees. So I actually, uh, you know, again, I started as an intern in my field. And I'll give you the the abbreviated story was I heard the Yankees were coming to town. So I, like any aspiring player slash fan showed up to spring training with a flip phone that this is back in 2002. And I started taking pictures of all my favorite players, you know, Derek Jeter, Andy Pettit, Roger Clemens, all these guys through a chain link fence and sending them back to my family who was freezing their asses off up in New York in February. And then anyway, the next day I go back to my internship at the university of South Florida. And I worked under a guy by the name of Ron McKeefer. And he says, Hey, Dana, can you come into my office? Usually those are not positive words that are to follow that. So I sat down and he's like, listen, I just got a call from the head strength coach with the New York Yankees. And he's looking for a guy to basically hand out towels, hand out waters and keep the weight room clean while he's on the floor, out on the field. Would you have any interest in that? And I said, you know what? As a matter of fact, I just got back from there and I'd have tremendous interest in that. When do I start? He's like, you start tomorrow. So the day before I parked a mile and a half away, I was driving a piece of shit car and I couldn't even afford to park close to the stadium. The next day I had a spot right up front. I walk in the main office and the lady says, are you Dana Cavalier? I said, yep, that's me. She put a lanyard and a credential around my neck. 
it said C for clubhouse, F for field access. And they walked me right into the Yankees clubhouse, threw me in Yankee clothing and walked me right out to the middle of the field where the team was doing team stretch. So it was amazing because in one day I went from one side of the fence to the other side of the fence and mm. it sort of shows you how fast your life, your life could change just by positioning yourself uh, accordingly. And then there's also like circumstance and, and luck and things that just happen as a result, I believe of how you think and how you act. Mm, so, so good. Um, I've been down there to legends field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and- that's where, where I got my start. And spring training, and and it's awesome. Again, as a lifelong Yankee fan, you know myself, having mm-hmm. had the opportunity to walk on that field and kind of see the rep, like the lookalike, you know, of Yankee yeah. Stadium, but down there in Tampa, and then go back. That's that's so cool. I want to. So you get this opportunity, and there's this, and yeah. there's this again crossing over from one side of the fence, you know, to the other side. You know, but so there's a little bit of luck involved. There's a little bit of timing, you know, right place at the right time. All of that falls. How do you seize it? You know, like from there, you know. Well, so now you are on the other side of the fence. What is it? You know, what do you do? Well, on that, I mean, I was literally on the other side of the fence, and I didn't know shit. I was just getting started in my career and in my field, and I literally was just an intern. And that intern journey. Um, worked out really well because I was always a question asker. I always like to ask questions. I always like to understand why things are done a certain way. So I've always felt I made a really good consultant, which is showing uh, to be true right now, you know, because I work with a bunch of different companies that bring me in for that um, to just sort of identify strengths, weaknesses, problems, what's missing, um, understand what sort of structures are incomplete or what may be needed to create something and make it better. So when I got to the Yanks, I realized that there was this scouting department and and in sports, every sport has it, even companies have them, but scouting and scouting was designed to identify talent. And when I got to to my field of strength and conditioning and performance, I said, what are we doing to scout injury risk? What are we doing to scout a player's potential? And we weren't doing anything. So I created what I called is, is the player performance scouting report. And what it did was we started to break down players and measure how much motion they had in their shoulder, left versus right, throwing versus non-throwing, left hip versus right hip, rotational hip versus non-rotational hip. And what we started to do was identify risk. And when you're spending 30 million, 100 million, now 500 million on players, you want to know what the risk factor is. So I basically started to color code risk for each player and where they were most vulnerable. And, you know, when I was that intern that was supposed to be just watching the the weight room, I would actually go to that lady that let me in the first day and said, Hey, are you Dana Cavalier? Here's your credential and say, Hey, can I, I have to go upstairs and drop off some paperwork. So I would carry this yellow um, envelope, you know, one of those like legal envelopes and I'd have it. And I'd say, I got to go upstairs and I got to go see cash who is our general manager, Brian Cashman. Mm -hmm. And she'd always swipe me and let me up. Most of the time he wasn't even in his office, but I caught him a couple of times and I said, hey, I'm working on this scouting report. Do you mind if I go over it with you? And he would sit and listen and listen and listen. And then um, where things, I I eventually fired the guy that that I was working under and I started, uh, I, I was hired as an assistant. And a few months into the season, we were playing the Texas Rangers bunch of hamstring injuries, bunch of guys got hurt. 
And the guy in front of me just signed a three-year million-dollar deal. He got they fired him and moved me into the interim role. So, like this was a you know I was I was a young buck too you know in my mid twenties, and all this started happening so so quickly. But I just was always a believer that it's your job to a create an opportunity, and then it's your job to think about how you can make that opportunity better. Like how can you be put into this environment or put yourself in this environment. And then how do you find where you create the value? What makes you valuable? I love that. And, and, you know, as somebody who has spent 15 years in risk management and insurance, which I did okay. before, okay. I love the association, you know, with risk assessment, risk mitigation, you know, um, and, and also the ability to, to, translate that both from sports and performance. You know, I think a lot of what we even do now is, is, you know, what I'm doing is personal risk mitigation. You know, like when I talk to guys and people out there, they're like, wow, this is such a big change from what you, you know, did before or a reinvention or transformation. I'm like, not so fast guys. Like one, it's not a total reinvention. It's more of a release into authentically what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. It's not so much of a transformation in that regard. It's really a lot of the same skills in terms of assessing risk, risk mitigation, you know, and how do we apply it to our lives to live better, longer, healthier, happier, stronger, long, you know, live without regret. All of these things that every day we wake up and live, we talked a little bit about this, you know, even before we kind of kind of kicked it off. This notion of like, again, how do you want to live? What does your life look like? What does your business look like? What do you want to do every day? There's risk in everything. What you do and what you not do. And, and the greatest risk for me, I always identify it as wasting time. Like r- wasting time is one of the greatest risks. And I find that people waste time all the time. So Let, let's dive into this because, you know, I've got a, you know, show me your calendar. I'll show you your priorities, you know, kind of framework too, you know, everything on the calendar that to a degree, like discipline does equal freedom. And as a guy who used to be more again, fly by the seat of his pants, thinking that the way to be free spirited, spirited and relaxed and, and keep your anxiety and stress down was not to be kind of this planner. I realized, or at least I learned in my experience that I was wrong, yeah. you know? that by planning, I've had so much more freedom you know? by being more disciplined. How do you approach it with time? Well, I, I mean, I look at time as, as my most precious resource and that I have to decide where I want to spend it and who I want to spend it with. So right away, I always say that puts me in an alpha and in, and in an offensive position at all times. So it, it's, it's great if you're a control freak, you know, because you're, you're, you're allocating time the way you know that, that it's best for you. So for me, I have to have time every day. I got to have time to work out. I got to have time for my meals. I got to have time for my work. I have to have time for rest and recovery and relaxation. And I have to have time to do the work that sparks creativity, opportunity, and um, enrichment of the mind. So if I have time for that each day, what am I going to be capable of? Anything. But if I don't have time for that, then I'll be capable of nothing because I'll, I'll have a weakness within me. I'll feel that there's some kind of a deficit or there's something, there's a knot that I didn't tie tight. 
and that creates vulnerability and it creates doubt. I always talk about players. You know, one of the players I got to coach. So my journey actually when I, you know, I became the director of strength and conditioning and performance for the New York Yankees for 12 years. And I got to watch the greatest players in the, in our history as a franchise um, perform up close and personal every single day. I got to watch them perform. I got to learn their habits. I got to see their mental makeup and what makes them what they are. And the one thing I found in a player like Derek Jeter, I, I actually discovered this with is the media was talking about his ability to move left and to move right and how it was decreasing as he was getting older. So that was an identified deficit. And when deficit is identified by self or an outside party, the mind tends to go to the deficit. So what I'm getting at is if you know that there's something that is a deficit within you and you don't work and put a strategy in place to correct it, there'll be a vulnerability that shows itself and you'll always be battling that point of vulnerability. Whereas if you use time correctly and you put time in place to address that and strengthen that vulnerability, you won't have the doubt that comes with it. You'll have the confidence of knowing that you're working through it, you're addressing it, and you're strengthening it. And that's what we saw happen with Derek. And, and it was something that I never forgot. And I said, okay, so for me, what is my vulnerability right now? What is something that I need to be working on right now? And that's a great question without becoming so hyper-analytical and obsessed. Like, what's that one thing that you know in your heart, in your gut, within yourself that you're not, you're not peak at right now? Or maybe diminishing. Or maybe it's not what it was. Or it's not what it could be. If you spend time looking into that and addressing it, it's it's so deep. We can go down a, a rabbit hole on this one. Not not yeah. if you're spending time addressing kind of your deficit or your vulnerability or figuring out where it is. Is that where your focus kind of should? Or again, how do you prioritize? Kind of is it an all or nothing? Like, hey, I'm going to focus on this weakness. Like even for example, like like you have a number of things that you do. You know, yeah. Yeah. you speak, you write, you coach, you have a, a, a cattle farm. We'll get into all of these things again. How do you prioritize? And I'd love your take on also, you know, some theory and conversations around, Hey, do I strengthen and work on my weaknesses or can I strengthen my strengths and get even better? Like, how do I determine which weaknesses might need strengthening, you know, and which ones I should just be like, Hey, let me delegate that. Not worry about it, you know, yeah. and double down on my strengths. Well, you know, there's certain, when I talk about the weaknesses, the weakness is what you, is what you feel within yourself. That sort of weakness, the weakness of like, Hey, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, I just don't like doing that work. It may be become a weakness. If all you do is think about it and it doesn't get done, then it, it could make you weak. But most of that stuff, the tangible stuff, you could just have somebody do for you. Get that out of the way. I'm talking about the stuff that's within you. That's weak that you know that you could improve and you should improve. It's like somebody that comes to me and they're a fat slob, right? They're overweight. They eat like crap. They do all those things. They know it. Every day they wrestle with it, but they don't do anything about it. All they need to do is put together a daily plan, an eating structure, a training structure, and they execute on that within their eight-hour workday somewhere. That is a part of the work. And over time, that will correct itself. That's, that's sort of what I'm talking about here. Mm -hmm. You can create change through schedule. You could create change through identified um, 
weakness. Like once I identify that's something I need to work on, I just put it in my schedule and I create a level of automation. And if you can, I, I just believe automate your outcomes through action. I like that. Automate your outcome through action. Yeah. Tips for um, a lot of white space between the guy <laughs> you described at the beginning. Okay. That's on the beginning. The guy who, you know, in a way knows what to do, but just doesn't do it. You know? Yeah. And then the high performance, you know, and, and, and pro athlete. That's there. Yeah. Advice, tips, your experience on, hey, again, how do I going to go from one to the other? This healthy thing seems so far out of reach. I've never really done it. I know that I should do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that rhythm, that cadence of, again, I got to show up, have the discipline, you know, and again, the possibility and probability that change happens over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the one thing that I found with any sort of change in the beginning, it's very sticky and it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's like a, a ball of yarn that's all tied together and knotted like Christmas lights or something like that. And you got to slowly unwind it. So eventually it becomes straight and it becomes flat. Sometimes unwinding things requires help. You know, if you've never gotten yourself on a physical journey before, the best thing you could do is make a decision. I'm going to get myself physically optimized and who can help me do it. I don't have the accountability right now. That's being honest. I don't have a plan right now. That's being honest. I don't have really the discipline of how to form a plate. Usually I just create a pile of food and that's what I eat, right? So getting the assistance to help you untangle the wires early is very, very helpful until it becomes a part of your life and becomes the new you. It becomes the champion version of yourself. But that upfront, you know, too many people fail because they try to do everything by themselves. You can't do it. It's too hard. You get too much other things to worry about. Mental or physical, which one comes first or are they both, they both have to happen kind of together? Yeah, well, if, if we're going to think about even just, again, performance in general, let's think of the highest performers in the world. In, in order, you could train physically, and most guys do, they train physically, not just for the physical benefits, they train physically because of what happens to them mentally by going through the physical training. So when I train my body physically, I'm forced to what, right? I'm forced to have a discipline because I got to show up to do it. I'm forced to work and, and, and put out effort, and I'm forced to challenge myself. All things that lead to better performance. When I uh, coached the Yanks, the one thing I used to do is I used to make our players work out before the game. And, and philosophically, people would say, well, then they're going to burn all their energy before the game. And I said, well, here's what you got to think about. Baseball is a me versus you game. I have to have optimized confidence to beat that other pitcher, to beat that other guy. After you work out, tell me how you feel about yourself. Do you feel shittier or do you feel better? Mm. And there's not one person that would tell you they feel worse about themselves. So to get a person into peak, part of being in peak is like, what do I have to do? What are the things that get me to feel that way? And I tell you what. When you train, when you eat right, when you think right, and you do the things that, that you should be doing, you feel better about yourself. 
So you can't complain that you're not feeling good. You're not feeling good about yourself. You're not feeling good about the outcomes in your life. If you're not willing to first identify what you need to do and identify the feelings that you currently have, and then put a plan in place to straighten them out. This is all, it's all X's and O's. It's the emotion that we tie to those X's and O's that hijack us. Mm, so, so good. And I love that so much as far as the, the workout before, in a way, way the game. And again, yep. applying that to everything. I have said this and I am a full believer in it. And thank you for, for sharing that. And I say, look, I schedule my most important tasks mm. right after I work out. I mean, in my experience, I've never been a big time athlete. I mean, I'm a slow learner and a late bloomer. I say it all the, all the time. Okay? I think I'm a better, I'm a better athlete and in better shape now, almost 50 than I ever was, you know, kind of coming up when again, you know, took all of the athleticism for granted, didn't train properly, any, every out of whack. And when you talk about performance and maximization and optimization in business and in life, I absolutely subscribe to your theory and COVID Ironically, while I would not wish a global pandemic on, on anybody, you know, learned a lot from this. What ended up happening was I built out my gym in my garage, you know, yeah. gutted the garage, brought everything in. There was no other place to go. And what ultimately ended up happening, and I was still with my firm at the time, I would go work out whenever I wanted to now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in workout clothes, sweaty right after I've crushed it in there would be when I would jump on the phone with a client, like the, whatever was the most stressful thing, the biggest negotiation, whatever it was going to be. And my belief and to your point was you are not going to out negotiate me right now. You know, like you're not going to like, this is the best of me because that's the place for an hour where quite frankly, I do my best work and I feel the best. So when I'm finished, let's roll. Bring on the more hard shit because I'm done. Yeah. So, you know, I call it, you know, strengthening your alpha. So at the end of the day, I always believe in every conversation, there's, there's an alpha positioning. What do you have to do to put yourself in that position of dominance? And again, I, you know, I come from the sports world. So, you know, in a, in a sport that's me versus you, someone's got to win and someone's got to lose. You better make sure that you're the winner. So if you put yourself in the alpha position, you know, your frequency of victory is going to be higher than that other person. So that's why you train physically, you train mentally, you eat a certain way. It's all about getting yourself into this alpha-based positioning. It really is. It's, it's so good. And, you know, started kind of turning the tables a little bit again on, on, I guess, indirectly even, or subconsciously or consciously, even some of the things I'm doing now and, and started to do. And then, and then I was seeing other guys do exactly what you're talking about. You know, started, Hey, instead of drinks, you know, in late nights started flipping the script and saying, let's meet for a workout or something in the morning. Because yeah. again, like, that's where I'm most confident, quite frankly. You know, put me again in workout clothes versus suit and tie. And it's, it's like, again, like there's a perception here. There's an alpha position where it yeah. worked. I want to work with that guy. You know, I want to do that deal with that guy. Like, yep. I, I call it stacking the deck, you know, stack the deck in your favor. If you're not, if, if, if the mornings are not where you're best for meetings, why are you having your important meetings in the morning? If you're mm. more afternoon, like stack the deck, stack your schedule 
for your own chances of greater greater victory or victory frequency. Like I, I have a client and he's about to sell his company for a billion dollars. And he had to meet with all these private equity guys that have billions of dollars under management. And he felt his best on the golf course because he could kick the shit out of all of them on the golf course. And that's what he did. And they became so like infatuated with him and his golf game that they started to see him as this sort of Adonis figure as it relates to, uh, you know, just leadership and golf and presence. It would all strengthened on that. I think it's such a good point. It's almost like how you do one thing is how you do how you do everything. So if the perception is you're this winner. in shape winning golf guy, like, hey, I'm a winner in business. I'm a winner in life. I'm a winner with what I put on my body, in my body, every ass. It's like, what do you show people? You know, how do you want to be perceived? Yeah. And that's where stacking the deck is a strong principle. And a lot of people don't follow it. It's not, it's, it's sort of they're constantly adapting and it's like, no matter how important the meeting is, it doesn't mean that you always have to adapt to what the other person wants. What's what Hold you said at the beginning a little bit about being offensive, you know, going on offense. Yeah. And I could be proactive, offense. reactive. I could be on offense. I could set the table. I could stack the deck. You know, we got to yeah. have a meeting. Let me do everything I can to put the meeting on my, t- in the, on my terms. Hmm? Yeah. And that, and that starts with, again, how you see yourself and how, and how you think. And most, most of the times we, we become reactive by default. Mm. And I think again, that, that default positioning takes, takes shape because we're not playing offense in other areas of our life. So we just let other people and other circumstances and other things call the shot for us. And we become zombies to our own life. The Midlife Mail podcast would not be possible without the support of some incredible brand partners. I only recommend brands I use, believe in, and trust. And each brand was handpicked by me for a specific reason. I believe in these guys, not just because they're great companies with great people behind them, but because the stuff works. I use these to stay at my peak and I suggest you do too. So go over to midlifemail.com and click on special offers for exclusive Midlife Mail discounts and promotions. So help me with that a little bit, okay? In terms of the context of, well, midlife is tough, you know? Guy, you know, the guys that I work with, the majority of the audience and everything out there, and I'm also very blessed, you know, and, and it's great. What we're seeing is a lot of younger guys, quite frankly, being very yeah. proactive in, hey, I'm seeing 40, you know? I want to yeah. get out ahead of this stuff, you know? Show me what's around the corner. I want to avoid the midlife crisis, so on and so forth. But a lot of the guys also that I work with, they're in the throes of it. You know, this is not Dana, the way they came up. It's not the way they think. Maybe they're not, you know, just the C, the CEO, you know, or that level. And most of my, and then there's also, I think you work with a lot of them too. These high performers, you know, that everything looks great from the outside looking in and they still want to get better. You know, there are still gaps, you know, in there and to push it. What, what is kind of your experience on, Again, maybe going from defense to offense. You know, I've been that guy who doesn't stack the deck. I've been the yeser guy, the pleaser, or maybe I'm not in the role where I've thought I've had that power to maybe set the table or change yeah. where the location. You know, you know what I mean? I've been a little more reactive to things than, than proactive. What tips would you give that person to kind of like maybe taking back some control or some things that they've lost in that area? Yeah. Big thing for me is like, you know, you think about, about cars, you know, and they have this thing called an emergency brake. 
I think more people need to pull it. You know, some people have a vehicle for an entire lifetime, like, a, you know, a, whether it's three years, six years, five, whatever it is, and they never pull that brake. And I think many people have to pull their brake, right? They've been doing things the same way for so long, getting their asses kicked at times doing it or doing something that they know is not right for them anymore at this point in their life, but they do it anyway in exchange for the false sense of safety and security, which doesn't exist anyway. So if you know that that doesn't exist, why not take a chance on yourself and do something differently? You know, the pursuit of the Maslow model of safety and security is what owns people. It's why they stay at a job for 20 years and they make a shitload of money and they're still talking about the benefits that they could buy on their own for 700 to a thousand bucks a month, right? It's, you have got to grab hold of yourself and of your mind and realize what is imprisoning it. And you'll realize that there's these really stupid things that you hold on to that you deem as important that don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Perception is one of the biggest things. Well, how will I be perceived if this CEO calls a meeting for Tuesday at 1 p.m. and I tell him, no, I can't do it. I could do it at four. Most people wouldn't have the stones to do that. But at the end of the day, if you do, you already stand out. And you also take a different positioning. Like, you know, people ask me what I do. I tell them I wrestle alligators for a living. I work with type A dominant men who are rich and have huge egos around certain things. And I crush them. That's what I do. I crush their egos and rebuild them and refocus them the way that they should be focused so they can create real dominance and not have an internal struggle with themselves. That, that's what we do. Now talk to me about the transition. Obviously the pedigree, the resume, the experience, 12 years with the Yankees, everything you've done. The transition for you also now to go from Yankees and athletes to CEOs you know, of, of companies that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, the one thing that I learned was, you know, so much of it is perception. Like I grew up around athletes, being one, going right into a very high competitive environment, you know, being on planes with Derek Jeter and hanging out with all these superstars and celebs. Very cool. That was my normal. I would look at a CEO and be like, wow, that's a CEO what, of X company. Holy shit, that's pretty cool. Like, and I would actually give that person some of my power just based on title. This was more when I was younger. And um, I realized that that was, not, that, that, that was an incorrect association to give that much power to a title. Because behind every title is a person much like behind every jersey on a sports team is a person. So when you start to understand that, you start to understand that everyone's going through this human experience. Titles are different, hair colors are different, right? Preferences are different, but we're all going through a human experience. So meet people, this was my philosophy with players, meet them where they are, meet them where they are, meet them where they are. When you do that, you realize that these CEOs have the same issues that athletes have a lot of them just have a different toughness threshold and a lot of them haven't dealt with you know some of the public failure uh situations that athletes deal with on a day-to-day basis so a lot of ceos can't deal with failure where they become very controlling and try to dominate situation where 
Athletes don't. They actually are they're more accepting and they react to situation in a different way. So I started to parallel the differences between these two high performing groups. And I realized that they both have things to work on. But for me, I had to realize that these CEOs are just people. The athletes are just people meet them both where they are and help them optimize from where they are. So I know maybe a little long winded, but no, I think I, th- I think it's I think it's great. What? Um, so who's the guy? Okay, right now who's the man? And it could be male or female, I guess, depending on mm, the archetype of the guy who reaches out to you. Mm? Um, high expectations, probably too high, and actually unable to meet the expectations they want under the timelines that they've put in place for themselves. Mm. That's he also feels that his confidence is slipping a bit. He feels like somebody could come behind him and take him out. There's always a threat dealing with the anxiety and the stress that comes with always feeling like there's a perceived threat with also this great desire to never leave potential on the table, not even a morsel of it. So that's, that's typically my guy. And, you know, it's, it's primarily who I work with. I work with a lot of, again, like you, mostly men, hungry guys that, they want to make sure that when the tombstone is there and it's placed with their name on it, that, that there were no stones that were not unturned and that they gave their best possible effort personally to their family, to their company, and that they have left a legacy of excellence. Mm. Leaving a legacy of excellence okay. versus in a way living your legacy while you're still here. It's an area I've been exploring, you know, that yeah. we tend to look at outcomes, you know, or we think about legacy or we see an outcome. Again, it could be a very fit guy, could be a very wealthy guy, you know, come yep, yep. look at the outcome again versus what it took to get there. Mm-hmm. Mm. You mentioned crushing these guys, ego and stuff like that, too, um, because sometimes I do think, you know, this fixation on the legacy or this fixation on the outcome. You know, these, they come at heavy costs. Yeah. When you mentioned, you know, could be again, lack of physical, you know, lack of health, you know, it could be, you know, again, you say you want to be a good husband. You say you want to be a good father. However, you know, you talk to wives and a lot of times they go, look, would you rather have more time or money? Would like more of your time. Okay. Like we're checking certain boxes based on perceptions for men sometimes too. Salary, title, power, you know, when you, how do you reprogram or recalibrate around this? Maybe around what the metric of success, you know, or high performance really looks like. Yeah. Well, for each person, it's, it's different. And there's some guys that they are actually lying to themselves and saying that their family's number one and that they want it to be. So if you're one of those people, like when you list out your priorities, like your family may not be number one, as crazy and as sick as that may sound, there are, you know, I call them killers out there that I've, that I work with that their family's not number one or at certain junctures when they're in negotiations or deals, 
The family's certainly not number one. And then they make the family number one to one and a half, you know, once that, that time period is over. But the family doesn't always hold the number one priority. And I saw it even, you know, I'll never forget this. Even with a guy like Derek Cheater, everyone's like, hey, Derek, when are you getting married? And he said, when I retire, I can't do two things at once. That was it. He retired, got married. Couldn't do, he could not do both things at the same time. So he chose not to. It, it's such a good point in terms of also prioritization, in terms of what does balance look like, you know, or that kind of, you know, hey, you can't do every one of these things in a day. You can't have the perfect morning routine, can't, you know, make your family or your wife number one, go out and crush the workout, do the big deal, see your clients, stay out late, wind them and dine them, get up at 5 a.m. You know, you can't as you do this every at certain points of your life, you know prioritization in a way takes over or periodization takes over in season versus off season, you know, any of these things. Um, And guys, I think, again, wrestle with this a lot. They deal with a lot of regret, a lot of guilt over, Hey, you know, this is my, whether it's earnings period, you know, or this thing, and then flip it around versus, Hey, why am I not doing as well? Well, again, you're trying to jam everything, you know, into a a 24 hour period or into a two month window, you know, you got what happens as a result, right? They always feel like they're failing. Even if they're winning over here, they're failing over here. And if they're winning over there, they're failing over here. So remember what I said earlier, your mind always goes to your deficit. So you're always gonna go towards where your perceived failure is. So it's like, I, I just sold the company, but I gave my wife no time, I gave my kids no time, so I'm thinking about that, right? And there's, so your mind is always gonna go towards the deficit. So far, it is, you know, again, stacking the deck in favor of yourself. Like one of my clients, he let his wife and kids know, hey, listen, for the next 90 days, I'm locked in on getting this deal done. So I'm probably not going to be as available. We're not going to do as many family trips and vacations. But when we get the deal done, then we're going to start doing some of those things and we'll schedule it out. He was up front, let them know the expectation, no surprises. He doesn't have guilt. Accountability, you know, different, again, ways of ways of handling things. I want to be conscious of your time. I know that and because it's valuable. And cool. we haven't talked specifically about the books, Habits of a Champion, Habits of a Champion team in there. But I think some of the topics that we've already discussed you know, are, yeah, yeah, are part good. of Habits of both a Champion and, and a Championship team. So in the interest of time also, let me know one, you know, how do people find you, obviously get the books. And then also, if you want to get into this a little bit, because now I'm intrigued about, uh, about your farm and getting, and getting your, your, your meat, the grass fed beef and all the stuff that you're into. Cause it's, it's, it's really fascinating to me and it's all the stuff I'm into. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, my, my website is danacavalier.com and I spend, you know, most of my time, I, I, I write on LinkedIn once a day. It's like my thing. It's how I start my day. I, I like to put something out there. And I do a daily newsletter as well. It's different. And that's, that's pretty much my game. And the books are on Amazon. And, and that's the deal. You know, I, I, uh, I try to make myself, no, I don't try, I make myself as available as I can be. Because as a coach, I realize that people need coaching in real time. They need, they need they're always dealing with something. The number one question I would always ask my players is, hey, how you feeling? And then I'd ask them the same question again, maybe an hour later, how you feeling? We're, we're humans, we're dynamic, our minds shift like the tides. And, you know, we always have to be on top of ourselves. So 
again, the content that I put out, the books I write, I, I write like I speak and I write and I speak what I think. So there's no, uh, it's fully transparent and it's uh, raw and organic because I just don't like people that script a story that's not real. And that's actually, I, I'll leave with this, but that's actually how I got into writing books. As a coach, I would always try to find great information. And I'd read these books on coaching and performance. And a lot of them were written by people that never coached and never actually helped people optimize performance. So they were all theories. And theories oftentimes don't work when you're trying to land a plane under heavy winds, you know, and, and, and conditions that are different than what a theoretical environment is. So everything's got to be real all the time, full transparency. And, uh, you know, we get after it. I love it. Guys, check out Dana's book. Go find him on LinkedIn, especially. Go read what he puts up there daily, every day. It's it's gold. Uh, go order some grass-fed beef and some meats or whatever. Where can I get that, by the way? So, I, actually, you know, truth be told, right now we're only servicing New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, very regional. But okay. But Houston, I'll tell you. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Yeah, we have yes. We keep it super clean, man. Super clean eating to optimize the energy profile of of, uh, of all that consume the beef. Beef is good. I love it. I will be in New York. I think my next trip is in is is in March. Um, do a speaking gig in New York. Get there. See what we can come up with. Uh, I really appreciate this very much. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I love what you're putting out there. Uh, I think it's super, super valuable. Um, guys, go check Dana Cavalier out. Go pick up copies of his book. Go find him on LinkedIn. Go subscribe to that newsletter. And if you like what you hear on the Midlife Mail podcast, please just do me a favor. Give us that five-star rating. Leave us that positive review. It keeps the Midlife Mail movement growing. Until next week, I am out of here. Dana, thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate it. Thank you. If you're interested in coaching and taking this conversation deeper so that you can achieve your personal and professional goals, be sure to head over to midlifemail.com and check out the work with me page to explore options.